uh, that word just confirmed something that I was feeling in worship, and um, so I'm just going to go with it because I feel this is not part of my preach, so don't start the clock. Um, but I felt like in worship, I felt like there's a spirit of fear that's trying to come on the people of this congregation, and there's a spirit of fear that's trying to come on the people of the world. All the stuff that's happening in Israel, all of the signs of the times, the enemy's trying to get you discouraged and afraid. I know there's people here that are feared. You're, you're afraid. You've maybe you've watched videos, you've listened to some of the horrible things that have been going on, and it's brought fear and, and anxiety into your life. And I, I want to, you, you don't have this at the back, so don't worry, but I just want to, I want to encourage you. I feel like the Lord stands before you this morning and he wants to just remind you who he is and what fear does in the face of who he is. So Daniel in Daniel 7 is looking ahead and he says, In my vision at night I looked and before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of the earth worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. May I remind you of the God that we serve. May I remind you of his power, of his authority, his dominion. He is in everything, above everything, and everything is under his feet. We, people of God, need not fear. I want to tell you, you need not fear the arrow that comes by night. You need not fear it. We win. We win. In fact, we've already won. Can I encourage you? Don't be afraid. Don't look at the signs of the time and be afraid for your families and your children and for what's to come. The future is there, and it's won by Jesus Christ, for you and for me. Amen. No fear. <laughs> we are not those that fear. So good morning. Good morning to all of you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, thanks, brother. Uh, my name is Sean Searle. That's my lovely wife, Chantal. Got my daughter, Tatum, here, and Connor's sitting over there. Uh, and Danky is in Kids Church. And I really have an amazing privilege to lead a wonderful congregation in Gordons Bay, um, which actually was planted out of this congregation in March 2021. So one thing Richard does incredibly well is he has just really got a concept of sowing. And he loves to sow out. And I wouldn't say in me he sowed out his best, but he certainly sowed. So uh, we, we've been out there for a while, uh, going on three years now. And uh, in three years in March. And when we planted out, we planted out with 24 adults and with eight children. Um, and those are folk that either lived in Gordons Bay or actually still lived in, in Somerset West but felt the Lord linking them to us and they came with us. And let me tell you something. When you plant a church, there's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. There's a lot that needs to get done. There's, there really isn't any place to hide. As you can imagine, with 24 adults, if one family is not there, it feels like there's crickets. You start counting chairs just to, like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's a jacket on that chair. Maybe there's somebody there. Um, and if that family is gone and not contributing on that Sunday, you really feel it. You really do. There's not a lot of hands. There's not a lot of, of um, people that can do what needs to be done. 
And I want to say to you, in the, in the early days, it was quite messy, actually. Eh? Let me tell you, I'm just going to take you guys on my journey for a little bit. You know, we'd get to meetings. For the first 20 months as a church plant, we didn't have a worship team or a worship leader. Now, I don't know if you guys can understand, but that is incredibly challenging because you guys have got a great worship team, and it's all very slick and it works really nicely. But we didn't have a worship team. So there were some Sundays that we were doing YouTube worship. So Mornay's actually, but he led worship in Gordon's Bay before he even came to Gordon's Bay. On YouTube, Josh Jen worship, he led. And Merv led. And then we got guys that would come out, and the, the congregations really supported us, and they sent their teams out to come and help us. Um, and then sometimes they sent their teams out to come and help us, but the guys that they sent were kind of the, the up-and-coming worship leaders. Let's put it to you that way. And I'm so thankful for them. But it wasn't always slick. There were some notes that were missed. The other side of it is that our team was still learning. So we suddenly had guys that had never done AV in their lives before that are now doing AV. So we're on verse 3 and they're on verse 2. The congregation's kind of standing there. The notes are being missed. The, uh, the sound guys are learning their things. So there's too much guitar and too little voice. And it's just messy. And, you know, people are kind of... If peop, the fact that people stayed showed that it was for Jesus because it wasn't slick. It really, it wasn't slick. Sometimes there was feedback and you're like, oh my goodness. And I had to learn where to stand in relation to the, to the speakers. And it was messy. But you know what? I've got my team. You're welcome to this a community of guys from Gordon's Bay. Thank you for coming through. I love you guys. And a lot of these guys are in it from the start. Jakun Carla were there with me from day one. And it was messy, but we were together, hey. We were in it together. Every person knew that their contribution was absolutely 100% needed. And we learned in those days how to worship God for him, not for the slickness of the team and the highly anointed preaching. So you probably sitting thinking, oh, why are you telling me that? What's that got to do with me? It's a good question. Thank you for asking. But it got me thinking as I was just reflecting. You know, when you get old and gray like me, you start to reflect on stuff. And I started thinking about Somerset West and all of the pleasant memories that I had in the 18 months that we were in this church. And um, I just started thinking about how things worked. And, uh, and then I thought about this analogy that I'd heard a couple of years ago, which I'll share with you in a few moments. But you see, when we find ourselves in a bigger church, a more established church, a church that's been around for a lot longer, that's got a lot more people, um, a church like this, but obviously not this church, um, we can start to just settle a little bit, right? Because when we come in, things work. From the moment that I walked in here, I was like, whoa, you've got this nice welcome visitor's desk with little pamphlets on it and nice smiley people who are ready to welcome you. You've got a coffee machine for those that can afford the coffee, and then you've got filter coffee for those who can't. Once again, I always say, if you stay in Josh Jen, it's not because of the coffee, because our coffee's terrible. Except for, except for Monica and them, their coffee's great. But the filter coffee's not great. You're not coming because it's great coffee. When you walk in, the leaders greet you, and the, the pub folks greet you. There's nice, uh, you know, supporting AV. The chairs are well set out. It's actually really slick. Everything just moves. The sound is good. They even make me sound good. Thank you, guys. Everything just works really, really well, right? 
But what happens, unfortunately, when things really work well, is we start to settle. We start to settle because no longer are we contending for excellence. Excellence is already there. So we find our seats. I remember I come from Sunningdale, which at that stage was a congregation of probably 350, 400 people before I came here. I had my seat and I had my spot in worship. And heaven help you if you sat in my seat or in my place in worship. Even now, if you ever look for me at a gathering in Sunningdale, I'll be right in the front, on the right, next to the speaker. You'll find me there every time. That's where the Holy Spirit is. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But we find our space, right? We find maybe you sitting in this place, you sit in the same seat every week. That's not a problem. I don't have a problem. You sit in the same seat for the rest of your life. I don't care. But don't settle. Don't settle in your seat. That's not what we call to you. And when you've got really dedicated people like you do in this congregation and in other bigger congregations, what generally happens is the dedicated people start to become those that do everything. And then we start to develop a culture where we have some guys that are kind of just coming along for the ride because Sunday's taken care of. I don't need to get there early. There's always those guys that are at the prayer meeting. There's always those guys that have set the chairs up. I don't need to stay up afterwards, you know. And we start to become passengers. And once again, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the church in general here. And when I think of passengers, I think of certain types of transportation, maybe an airplane or a train. But this morning specifically, the analogy that I want to think about is that of a cruise ship. You know, if we remove the spiritual elements of what I've spoken about now and we start to look at the attributes of what passengers would experience on a cruise ship, it's quite, sim- it's quite similar, actually. So on a cruise ship... They have music and entertainment and shows and variety, and we have worship. On a cruise ship, they have staff and crew and servants that are there to meet your every need. And in the church, often we have leadership teams and communities on duties and the responsible people in the ministries that are taking care of the job so that Jesus can be glorified. We also get to choose our seat, and I'm talking theoretically, on a cruise ship. I get to do the activities that I want to do. So I remember we went on our honeymoon on the MSC's uh, uh, Melody many years ago. It was amazing. Not. It wasn't. It wasn't amazing. My wife was seasick for the entire trip. I spent my honeymoon watching cricket and hitting golf balls off the little tee into the water. But I could choose to do the things that I wanted to do. So the activities that I wanted to be involved in, I could get involved in. The, 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 the people that I wanted to, to be around, I could be around. So if I wanted to just work on my tan, you know, I was pull out the abs and in the sun. Or perhaps I, I wanted to catch a show and be entertained a little, but I could go and do that. I chose who I wanted to spend time with, and I chose how much time I wanted to spend with them. Hopefully none of that's true here. But here's the thing, when you're on a cruise ship, you do travel, you actually, you, you, you cover distance, but inevitably you end back straight back at the same port you started from. So you're going somewhere, but you're not. And very often, all that we come back with, the only thing that we've actually gained on our trip is a few kgs from the free food. 
and maybe a tan if your wife isn't sick and you're in the cabin the whole time. And the one thing that you do lose there is maybe a couple of rands or dollars because those things are there. So you've spent seven days traveling, but in fact you haven't gone anywhere. And may that never be said of the church. You see, because we as the church are not called to be passengers and we're not called to drive or go on a trip on a cruise ship. And this morning I want to remind you In fact, I want to call you. I want to invite you. I want to enlist you this morning. Every single one of you that are listening to this. I want to enlist you into active duty. You see, we're going from passengers to crewmen. And we're going from a cruise ship to a battleship. You see, the church is a battleship. We are at war. Every single day, whether you choose to believe it or not, you are in a war for souls. You are in a war for for holiness. You are in a war for righteousness. You are in a war against sin. You're in a war against all of these things. And there's so many similarities between a cruise ship and a a battleship. Both of them can accommodate thousands of people. Both of them would go on the same ocean. But they have very different functions. And they have a very different outworking. So the first difference that I wanted to highlight with you between a cruise ship and a battleship is their mission. You see, a cruise ship goes to a destination. And the the dictionary defines destination as a place to which someone or something is going or being sent. So it's a bit wishy-washy, right? Okay, we're going up there, and then we get there, we'll do some stuff, and then we're going to come back, and it's all right. But on a battleship, there's a mission. And a mission is defined as an important assignment given to a person or a group of people, which could include travel. You have been given a mission. I have been given a mission. Every single one of us. We are not just happily floating along in our lives hoping to just get raptured one day. Actually, God has got a mission for you. He's got a mission for me. That's why I'm standing in front of you. I didn't come here this morning with, oh, I kind of think I'm going to sort of maybe speak about that. No, there's a mission. I'm hoping and trusting and believing that after I leave today and after you guys have let the Holy Spirit work on you, that you are going to go, yes, man. Come on, I'm in. Let's go. Yes. So we actually are, we're, we're, a, we're an army of saints. And like people on a, uh, on a ship, we are focused. We are trained. We're ready to execute the orders of our commander-in-chief. When Jesus says it, we do it. There's no questions asked. On a cruise ship, and they say, hey guys, listen, we want to just let you know, you know, we're having happy hour at the bar if you'd like to come around. If you don't drink, well, that's not going to really help me. So I don't choose to take part of that. But on a ship, when the orders come down from the commander-in-chief, when the siren goes off, there is single-minded focus on the objective. There is zero tolerance for, oh, well, I don't feel like I'm actually... When that missile's in the water and it's coming towards the ship, those sailors, those crewmen are single-minded. They're absolutely 100% focused. There is zero muddy water. And you know that Jesus has actually given you and me a message. And for those of you who have been waiting for the, for the Bible, oh, I'm going to give you the Bible because I love the Word of God. So let's have a look. You know when Jesus comes, preaches his first sermon in the synagogue, I'm sure for him it was something which was really important. He needed to kind of make a statement. He needed to really tell the world who he is. So in Luke 4, Verse 14 to 20, we're going to read together about what happens 
as Jesus preaches his first sermon in, in the synagogue. And it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's empowering me today and the same Holy Spirit that should be empowering you on a daily basis. Returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And a report about him went throughout the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was the custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Give this, and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah uh, was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the sovereign, the spirit of the Lord is on me because I, he has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He wasn't, he wasn't double-minded. He got up and he spoke and he said, this is my mission. This is the reason I've come to the planet. This is the reason that I've left the safety, the security, the perfect unity of the Trinity to come to the earth was because of that. It was the first time that he said who I am and who I am, what I am here to do. It was directive, it was instructional. But then his last words, before he ascends into heaven, once again is reiterating a mission. And we read together in Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, he's once again, like I said to you this morning, he is asserting his authority. He is basically saying, listen, I am he, and everything is subject to me. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, mission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. My friends, we have been given our mission. We have been given our sailing orders. We need to get out and achieve our mission. We need to execute that mission. And if we're on a cruise ship, we're not going to be effective. But if we jump onto that battleship and we say, here I am, Lord, send me. Imagine the difference that we would see in Somerset West and in Gordons Bay and in the Western Cape and in the country of South Africa. The second thing I want to talk about, a key difference between the souls that are on a ship, cruise ship, and those that are on a battleship, is their position. You see, on a cruise ship, it's all about my comfort, the excellence of service, how convenient things are for me to get to, how confined and cramped the rooms are. I want space. I want to be able to look at a view over the ocean. My position is one of luxury and comfort, convenience. My, my position is one of, I want to be served. I've paid money. You serve me, so I need to get my bang for my buck. It's one of, I want to be served. But you see, on a battleship, every single sailor, every warrior that gets onto the battleship understands one thing that they're there to serve a mission. They understand whether they're the gunner that's actually firing shots at the enemy and protecting the vessel physically, 
or whether they are the cook, deep down in the valley, in the galley, that no one ever sees and very seldom would ever get any kind of glory or any kind of praise, but he's the one who's keeping the crew fed, uh, 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 healthy, getting nutritional meals into them so that they can achieve the goals they need to do. And the, and the understanding from the cook to the deck washer to the captain is that I serve my fellow shipmates. I serve my crewmen and they serve me. And what are we all doing it for? We're there to serve the mission. There's one mission. That's the mission. They're all involved. And I want to say to you, perhaps you're here this morning and you think to yourself, oh, well, who am I? I see several people who, like me, have got some gray, but perhaps for you, got slightly more gray. And, I, and you might think, well, the best years are behind me. What value do I still have to add? I've got health issues. I've got mobility issues. Uh, what, what can I possibly bring to the table? This is a young men's game. I want to say to you, your best years are not behind you. Your best years are ahead of you. There are things that God has still got for you. If he didn't, why would you be here? He's calling you. He's enlisting you. Whether you're as young as my daughter at 12 or whether you're 99 in the shade, God is calling you. He really is. And there is none, there is not one job that is too small or too big. There's not one task that is more significant than the other. If the engineers in the, in the service banks of the, of the battleship are not doing their job, once again, unseen, nobody notices that the engineers haven't been doing maintenance or servicing of the engine until the engine seizes. Then all of a sudden they're important. But I tell you, in terms of the operation of the vessel, the, in terms of us being able to maintain our vision, sir or ma'am, you need to do your part. We need you. Jesus needs you. Why? Because he chose to limit his power. And he says, it's through the church that I will make my wisdom manifest to the powers and principalities. It's through us. I want to just go to Ephesians 4.16 quickly. It says, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. Each of us need to be part of this. And I want to say to you, perhaps when it comes to the analogy of the body, maybe the toenail. How many of us want to be the toenail here? Anybody? No one. Thank you, Taiti. You see, we all want to be the bicep, or we want to be the ab, or we want to be the beautiful face, or we want to be the strong arm. None of us wants to be the toenail. But has anybody ever, you know, like you're walking like at night, like a bang! You hit your toe, or you lift the toenail. I can see you cringing. How important is the toenail then? The pain rushes through that body. It's seemingly insignificant, but it's not. Just because you're not standing in front of the church preaching, or leading a community, or serving in an active ministry at this stage again, does not mean that you don't matter. Every single person, from the bicep to the toenail, matters in this fight. We need you. You have to be part of what we're doing. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26-27, I just want to land that. This is it. You matter. 
Everybody, even in the back. Mom is faithfully sitting with her children when you could have chosen to be at home. But you understand that by coming to the body, by coming and being part of the fellowship of the saints, you're teaching an intrinsic value to your family, even if they're too small to understand it. Well done. Well done. Because if one part of the member, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that frightening? When you're doing well in your marriage, we all get the honor. When you're struggling in your marriage, we're all feeling the pain. When your finances are working and you're honoring God and being faithful, we all get honor. When you're skimping in the world and you're starting to hold on to things, we're all suffering. And my final point around the differences between a cruise ship and a battleship is our condition. What are the conditions that you find yourselves in? And on a cruise ship, it's going to be generally quite peaceful, really fun, maybe quite relaxed. You're not wearing clothes like this, you have your baggies on, tackies, it's like a, it's all good. Everything is arranged for your convenience. There's four or five set meals per day. There's buffets that you can walk up to any time. I love the Danishes. They were amazing. My wife told me not to love them so much, but I do. And I can go and take any time you want. You can just find your way up and you can grab and off you go. And people are generally running around trying to help you. They're trying to please you. They're trying to make sure that it's very, very pleasant for you. I don't want Craig and Joy not to enjoy themselves because if they don't enjoy themselves, they're not coming back onto my cruise ship. On the battleship, unfortunately, it's slightly different. You see, on the battleship, there's very little that's centered around comfort and convenience. <laughs> they try to make it as comfortable as possible. So there is a bed. There is a bed. But it's kind of like a swinging bunk. And they go about six up. And no matter what the temperature is outside, it's like hot. So what these guys, I actually did the research. These guys will literally, they'll carry in the mornings, they'll carry their mattresses up and go and put them on the deck because they are soaked wet from the sweat. And in those rooms, it'll be about six up and, and about three across. So that must smell great. Really comfortable. Not. You're putting two places now with people that you don't like. Just because they're on the same team doesn't mean they like each other. As the Bible says, you could have Jew and Greek and Hebrew and all the rest of these guys. They're all in the same place. They come from different, different ethnic groups, different backgrounds. Some have had good fathers, some have had bad fathers. Some are there because they're trying to escape prison. You see, in America, you can actually enlist and you'll stay out of prison. So some of the people that are in the room with you there could actually be criminals. <laughs> it's not comfortable. It's not convenient. But the moment that the orders get cranked over the radio, or that siren sounds, the fact that we come from different backgrounds, the fact that there's different reasons that we hear, the fact that we're different colors, the fact that we have different beliefs matters nothing, and we focus on the fact that if we don't do our job, we're going to die. It's serious. There's no games that they're playing. 
There's a deep understanding in that moment that it is not about my convenience. It's not about my comfort. If I stub my toe on the way up the stairs, I walk it off because if I don't get to my post, somebody's not firing a gun. And if I don't get there, I'm not giving them ammo. I'm not battening down the hatches. I'm not on my lookout point. So if there's inconvenience and if there's pain, I blow through it. I blow through that thing because I know that the mission needs to be achieved because lives are dependent on this. There's an understanding that, that there could be death and in the face of intimidation and of threats and of fear, there's an understanding, hey, we signed up for this. We didn't get conned into it. Some of the army recruiters, they might con guys into it. But essentially, the Oaks understand when I'm going into the army, someone is at some point going to do something that's going to try and hurt me. It's not a surprise. They know what's going to happen. And so it is with us. <laughs> and I hope I'm not the first person that's going to point these things out to you. In fact, it came through one of the prophetic words or through the announcements. But in John 16.33, I'm trying to use this to show you the fact that we're on a battleship and not a cruise ship. It says, I have said these things to you so that you may have peace. That's a good way to start. Right? One day if I came to you and I said, Bro, I want to tell you something that's going to bring you peace. You'd be excited, right? What does he say next? In this world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. There's not a lot of tribulation on a cruise ship. There's a lot of tribulation on a warship. And if you find yourself in a place of tribulation and trial and trouble, then I say this to you to give you peace. That my Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He says it to me and he says it to you. In James 1 verse 2 to 4, count it all joy. Well, nay, I want you to count what I'm about to say, all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's the encouragement. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Your pain is not for nothing. If you're suffering and if you're going through hardships, I want to let you know it's not for nothing. The Lord is building something into you. He's building something into us as the church. And unfortunately, the time for us to be able to play church, the time for us to be able to be passengers is actually fast approaching the end. And we need to mobilize. And you need to realize that you're on mission. No one is unimportant. From the oldest to the youngest. From the fittest to the most unfit. From the most anointed to the least. You have a part to play. You have a part to play. And Monet and Andre and Brian and Skolk and Richard and the rest of the eldership team and the rest of the leadership team need you to hear that. I need you to hear that. Because we're all on the same mission. We're just on different battleships at the moment. But that could change tomorrow. But the fact is one day, all of us will stand before the Lord and there will be reward for the faithful service. And there will be a loss of reward for those who put their hand to the plow and let go. 
Is this landing okay? You guys are very quiet. Thank you. Got my cheering squad here. So, if it's okay, I'd, I'd love to just, I'd love for us to respond. You see, because when you, when, when you get enlisted, you need to report for basic training. But maybe for some of us that are here this morning, perhaps you, you don't even know that you're enlisted. You didn't even actually know that there was a war going on. You've kind of just been living your life, doing the best that you can, and hard times have fallen on you, and relationships are broken, and finances isn't working, and health is not great, and actually you just, maybe even today you've come here without anybody knowing and going, actually, I'm giving this one last shot. And Lord, if something doesn't change today, that's it, I'm done. I'm out. So God, maybe you've even come here today and said, I don't even know if there is a God. I don't know if I can even believe in this God. Because I've had so much hardship in my life. How could there possibly be a God that loves me? How could there possibly be a God that wants to save my soul? But as you've read, serving Jesus, loving Jesus, being in Jesus doesn't exempt us from trials and tribulations. But we can have peace knowing that is not in vain. So perhaps you're here this morning and you've, you've never actually become part of the Lord's team. You've never given your life to Him. You've never surrendered the ownership and authority of your own life to Him who came and died. He lived as a man perfect like none of us have. He was crucified. He was raised again on the third day. And then He actually appeared to over 500 different people. Historical fact. Historical facts. You can go and research it from non-Christian sources. You can find that there's actual historical facts that Jesus was seen. And you're hearing about the fact that there's this war and this cruise ship and it's like, well, hold on, actually, I'm, I'm not even on any ship. And I can't let this morning go past without at least giving you an opportunity to be part of what God is doing. Because there's no other mission that's worth it. Building your own kingdom getting your kids into the into the Springbok rugby team. I love the Springboks. I love rugby. I will be shouting my lungs out tonight at 9 o'clock for our boys. But I said this in Gordon's Bay last week, and I say it to you, and, and, and I, I say this with all love. We're meeting in probably one of the most prestigious schools in this area. I want to say to you, Mom and Dad, your job is not to get your kids into Harvard. Your job is to get your kids into heaven. That's the only thing that will matter. There's no accreditation. There's no Springbok blazer that's going to make it in. There's no PhD. There's no MBA. Your kids need to find their way into heaven, and one day they will stand there alone. 